Hi guys and welcome to the Morbid Download. This is episode number seven. I'm here with Leone, who's the founder of uh, Breath Friends, which is a charity in Northampton. I've just finished doing a talk here in Northampton. Uh, and say hello, Leone. Hello. <laughs> uh, what started you finding your own charity, like to design or develop it or to push it forward? Um, from my own diagnosis in 2016, I tried to find things that could help me through my treatment. So whether it be activities to do or support um, or anything that could just basically get me through the next 10 months. And there wasn't anything locally. Uh, so I, after, after I finished, I looked at all the things that worked well for me and how I could try and share that and encourage others to be able to have the same sort of experiences. So that's where the charity grew from. Yeah. How did you get started though? It was like, um, so you went searching for all these different well, charities or schemes that we're obviously not around in your area. There were things, but there was no breast cancer support group. So there were breast cancer, there was there was cancer th- uh, groups or organisations that you could go to to have things, but there wasn't actually just a breast cancer support group. That I I had one online, which was fantastic, which was the Young Breast Cancer Network, but that's a national thing and you have to be 45 and below to be on it. Uh, then I found some of the women lived nearby. Yeah. Um, so we started to meet up. Uh, and realised the benefit of the face-to-face contact. Um, so from there on, we kind of started chatting and said, wouldn't it be great if uh, in Northampton this would be available? Wouldn't it be great if this was available? And we kind of, as we came to the end of our treatment, said, you know what, actually, we can do this. Why Why wouldn't we do this ourselves? And that's where we, we started to, to do it from there. So what is Breast Friends actually about? What is it? What's it trying to do? Well, Breast Friends is actually, we're not the only Breast Friends. So we're Breast Friends Northampton because nobody owns the name Breast Friends. So uh, the Northampton group, um, we we run completely independently. um, And it's about providing support for people affected by breast cancer in Northampton and surround because it's now become bigger than just Northampton. Um, And it's about helping people through their treatment, helping them through their diagnosis, helping through beyond that as well, and really just looking at the person as a whole. So um, how we can help them mentally, how we can help them practically, how we can help them socially, how we can help them live as well as they can. So basically you're looking at the needs of the people, from your own experience, isn't it? And initially it was literally just, if we just have four people sitting in a room having the being able to talk to each other about a situation they've been through with somebody that has been through something similar, then that ticks the box. But from then on, we said, right, okay, what other needs do these people have? And now we look at if the need arises, then we will hopefully try and, you know, fill that and support that need. Yeah. Did it escalate quicker than you thought it would? Massively, really, really quickly from um, the amount of people that were joining we now have over 100 members. Um, we've only been running for a year. And for a local support group, that's huge because uh, there is no list that you can get this from. We can't buy a list mm. of people that have had breast cancer in Northampton. So it's the word of mouth. Um, so it did grow very quickly. Um, but also the, the, the needs that we feel and the things that we want to do for them, we realised there are so many things that we can do. And we started doing them and then realised the amount of work that puts into that. So... And, and did you form good links with the hospital? Obviously, we're at the hospital campus today. We uh, do. I mean, we've had we've been really lucky to be supported by Macmillan. They were they gave us the initial uh, funding that we needed to start the group in the first place. So we have a lot of links with Macmillan, and we have built up um, relationships with the hospital. We have um, the uh, oncologist that's our, our patron, so that really helps. But it is definitely a very difficult thing to get uh, the links in 
with the hospitals mm-hmm. because they're so incredibly busy. Um, but we do have links, um, but it is definitely a relationship that we need to, to help try and build. And yeah. And the thing is, because obviously you started off with like you talk about a support group. So was it just talking groups or meeting up once a week, once a month? or We have the online support of, so yeah. people can, because some people just aren't comfortable coming into a space. So we have the online group, which is the, the private group, which is the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there on, we meet monthly. Um, so we have the monthly groups, but then we also have wellbeing walks, which they're monthly. So we have that in addition. We do wellbeing events. We have that in addition. So there's usually, we also have now, so we were supporting the people of, uh, that had or having treatment. And now we've gone beyond that into the community. So now we do um, breast cancer awareness talks in the community. So we have those events as well. So we normally have around four events a month yeah. going on. And do you offer some of the Macmillan courses? Because obviously I met you on a mm. Macmillan course. Um, so we, uh, luckily we do have really good contact with Macmillan. So they have, we, we make people aware of the Macmillan courses. Uh, anyone that supports us, so any of our committee members or trustees are able to go on the course to help people that are going through it as well. So from the professionals and from the patient's point of view, we're able to use the Macmillan courses. And they're also looking to be able to run the, one of those courses purely for our for our uh, members in Northampton as well. Uh, so they're looking to, to pull one of the courses out and do that specifically for us. Where do you see Breast Friends go by Northampton? Um, well, what's your vision for it? Well, what do you want to I think be? it's... I, I've always got blue sky thinking. So yeah. really that's good though, that's good. Go. Yeah, it can go anywhere. But um, <laughs> it's not going anywhere. That's the one thing. It's not, it's not leaving. And I can see that, that the need is such... Uh, we have people from outside of Northampton asking if they can join because they don't have anything in the area, had somebody as far as um, Scarborough ask if they could join the other day. We have also have people that don't have breast cancer that want support. Our group is quite dynamic. We meet evenings and weekends. We meet outside of work time. Um, we do a lot of kind of active things. We do a lot of fun things. Um, we have a lot of things available. We give everything we do is free. So, it's, you know, the reason why somebody would come to us is not financial um, or not come to us is not financial. So, the dynamics of the group interests people outside of breast cancer and that's something that we could be looking towards is maybe trying to provide something for people that are outside of breast cancer because uh, we do realise that breast cancer is so huge uh, that the need is there but we also see that there's the need for the other people in our community that we aren't able to help at the moment so that's something we may be looking to go into as well. And you, you've won some awards and uh-huh. stuff along the way, haven't you? Oh, I won a award, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'd love to have won an award for the, for the for the charity. That would mean a lot for me. Yeah. Uh, to win the award was it was it was inspirational woman of the year for Northampton, um, and for me initially, I thought it was my mum that uh, right. <laughs> put forward. So you know, I was a bit embarrassed to be honest. Yeah. But and then I found out it was actually the women for the group. So for me, that that just if anything. It was just a huge, massive um, respect to the fact that the group is working. It's doing what it should be doing. And for me, that just, you know, outweighed the award itself was, was knowing that those women felt the need to, to, to put me forward for it, um, that it was obviously benefiting them in, a, in, a, in such a good way. So uh, I'll take that one, definitely. Yeah. And do you ever step back and think, this is what I've done? No, no, not really. really. I think what can, now, yeah. <laughs> usually, I think what what, what can I do? yeah, what can I do rather than what what have I done? Because to be honest, 
I've only done it because, you know, I could have just been a person with a good intention sat in a room. I couldn't have done it alone. I had to have everybody else in place uh, believing in me and joining me. Um, and so I haven't done, I haven't done it. I just had a good intention and was able to uh, encourage other people to join me. So, um, yeah, from that point of view. And you've still been the driving force behind it, haven't you? You've had support. Yeah, yeah. I could never, I haven't done anything on my own. Um I just, yeah, I just had the will to want to do it in the first place. And um, it's, like I said, it's not, you know, I have to look at my work life and my, mm. the charity life and, you know, the work, I can work anywhere, but the charity is there. It's there to stay. It's not going anywhere. So it needs to, it needs to be a priority. Yeah. Uh, and how, uh, obviously you're getting different talks in and, mm. and different stuff like that. You want to put different physical activity stuff. Mm. What do you think the need is? Uh, that, that's needed to because you're saying oh well I tend to look at what haven't I done and what mm. haven't we done and gone through that what do you think the missing gaps are? Um, I think to make sure that we're balancing um, where people's needs are so balancing it from well-being uh, so looking at well-being as a whole looking at the people as a whole so balancing the mind with the body mm. and the actual practical needs of, of that person as well so practically emotionally physically um, I think all those need to balance equally uh, for those, but each for each person that might be stronger physically. I do think we do wellness walks at the moment, um, but they're very much geared to mental well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think from today is how can we encourage those people to take the right step towards their physical well-being? Um, is definitely where I've just from today's meeting is looking at, at introducing a an eight-week course uh, for for them um, because sometimes it's knowing where to start and financially, can I afford this? Um, if I'm going to do it myself, am I going to be able to get the impetus to be able to do it myself and can carry on? So it's definitely given me food for thought today. You've already, uh, like you give out chemo uh, kits, don't mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. Uh, Chemotherapy, chemo- radiotherapy and surgery kits. We okay, out. is that all through a separate funding or? Um, so the chemotherapy kits are funded. Um, they were funded initially by um by a, a donation mm-hmm. um and then we since um have a tesco uh um, tesco tokens at the moment uh, and we're replying to co-op as well for it so um but we are very lucky that our we are supported very well by our families and our uh, and friends of breath's friends yeah. and the community so uh, to be able to give us the uh, the money that we need the funds we need to be able to carry them on and the, the radiotherapy packs, we're really lucky that I mean, uh, our community, um, somebody came forward from Forever Living. Uh, she she works to um, get funding for that for us. And the surgery packs are all donated by uh, two women that um, that uh, collect all the items and then make the items that they need for oh, it. That's so really good. Really, really good. Yeah. They are amazing, those two women. And uh, one of them has recently been diagnosed herself. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's... Uh, it, we really the community for us is is key yeah and it, exactly you talk about how strong the community is how do you form that community how do you get that going um initially it was from uh our members ourselves so um i think when somebody is, is diagnosed with cancer uh often the friends and family want to do something to help and sometimes there's not a lot you can do apart from be there for a person but if they want to have 
practical help, help that they can see that they've actually achieved. The fundraising is usually where it comes from and they want to help that person. Now, if, if they feel our charity has helped them, then they're likely to put our charity forward for that. Uh, then their companies might also want to support their person, their colleague, you know, so that comes from there. Uh, and then the community grows from there. So it's the friends of and the family of. And, and to be honest, because breast cancer is, you know, now that it is so prevalent and it's, you know, one in um, eight women will get it. And then obviously you've got the men's statistics on top of that, that it's it reaches most people. There's not many people that could turn around and say, I don't know anybody or there's nobody I care about that hasn't actually had breast cancer. Um, and with breast cancer, um, the more that we can do to help our community, uh, what we're doing now is we're going out into the community and actually giving them breast cancer awareness because uh, we know that often the best way you can help yourself is early detection. Yeah, exactly. And then do you see you fitting into that? Because obviously a lot of the, the women that I tend to see, it's a bit of a, like information overload when they're mm. just first diagnosed mm. and then it's like a whirlwind effect <coughs> getting into it. Uh, and do, do you get people that come to see you straight from being diagnosed? Is it normally after treatment or...? Um, it's a real mix, but we are lucky enough that uh, the Thatcher General Hospital um, Put our, pack, put our leaflets into their new packs. So we know that the women at point of diagnosis have a choice and that choice is to pick that up or not, depending on their needs. So we want them, we want it to be uh, available for them to see and to know, it's to know it's there from the point of their diagnosis. And then it's up to them whether they pick it up or not, whether they feel the need to do it. Uh, we do have women that have came on from the evening of diagnosis mm -hmm. and they've literally come straight from that as a case of, gosh, what am I going to do? Yeah. And it feels like, tick, I've tried to do something. Um, and then we might have people that are years down the line that have got, you know, emotional reoccurrences. They might have, uh, they might have had a, a, an actual cancer reoccurrence or they might just want to help other people. Quite often they want to come and help other people. And Cancer doesn't go away when you've when you when you've finished you know when you've finished your treatment you know the actual cancer itself has but the emotional effects it's had on you and the fear of reoccurrence gets can get easier but often it's there with people for life so um, you know being able to say to somebody you know gosh you know I got really worried the other day and not somebody said somebody to say to them oh you have to think positively or you know well I think you're just being silly or you know you need to get over this having somebody that actually can actually say, oh, I did as well, actually, and um, can be, you know, really beneficial to them. And I think that's the thing that people don't talk about is the lasting mental health effects, mm, you know, the anxiety or depression, that whichever they may get, because obviously when you're in the, the moment and mm. the whirlwind effect, you're not really feeling any of that to a mm. certain extent. It's after it's all calmed down and then you get in the... But it's like, it's like post-traumatic stress syndrome yeah. that you literally... Um, quite often everybody you know hurries around you picks you up and mm. you know carries you through your treatment um, because everybody's there looking after you and then when you're done they say oh you must be so glad you finished your treatment and often people don't necessarily feel glad they feel fearful because now that they have their safety blanket has gone and then they're literally dropped back into society and expected to pick up where they left off but they're not the same person you know, they've had this horrendously traumatic event happen to them, um, of which didn't just last one day, often lasted, you know, approximately a year of treatment. And then they've got to go back to normal life um, with their life kind of being muddled up and changed and quite often doesn't go back to exactly the same person they were. Sometimes they can be, 
and a happier person and oftentimes they can be a, a lot more sadder or, or you know or, or an anxious or person that's you know and I think the outside world doesn't see that quite often they are so happy that we finished that they also are tired as well of us talking about it and, and they don't mean to be but it can quite often be like are you still going on about it's it? It's a bit of a centre point though isn't it? Yeah. It's like if it happened to you and this is where uh, we mentioned earlier in the talk it's like you know I know you're going through it but also the people mm. if you're used to being mm. like caring for a, a mm. wife or for yeah. your kids and then you're seeing it in like I can't actually physically do anything to help yeah. your yeah. state I can't fix it yeah. I can't I mean that's very hard to uh, like ad- admit isn't it yeah. I cannot fix this mm. and I should be able to but I want to and yeah. I just can't that's something we really noticed actually because we do work so hard to look after our members and we once had, we had an event recently where the members' families came along to, and there was two members' families there. And for me, I it's so it was so noticeable how confident and how uh, relaxed our members were coming together in this kind of cancer event, if you want to call yeah. it. Um, and we speak openly in in this in this in, our, in the environment we feel safe in. But the two family members that came along probably had never been in that state or, or that or that group environment before. And the anxiety and the emotion that came out for them was so palpable that I was shocked at how they were dealing with it and how well we deal with it together in this survivorship, in this um, kind of group mentality that we support each other, that the people on the outside we it was it was just really really noticeable and so we recently had our birthday event and instead of celebrating and treating our members it was their job to bring their friends and family and support members that got them through it to treat them so the day was all about not our members but all about the friends and family all about the people that had fundraised for us all about the people that had emotionally supported us physically supported us and we just had this whole day of activities and well-being events and food and coming together um, and that was so important and it actually was around it was we did it around the international day for families mm-hmm. um, and it was so important that they were our focus that day yeah exactly and i you know with the clients that i've worked with around cancers uh, just cancers in general some of them never talked to their family no no. You know, because they, mm. they didn't want to upset them mm. when every mm. time they brought to it. And they didn't want to, like you were saying, they didn't want to be that centre point saying, oh, I'm talking about that again and, mm. and stuff like that. So I remember my husband saying to me, uh, he said to me, are you, I said to me, are you okay? Somebody asked me if you were okay, but actually I'm really sorry, but I can't really think about you right now because I'm just trying to keep myself together yeah. so that I can be there for other people. Like, you know, just actually in the room, not breaking down. I'm trying to keep myself together and my children. So I said, but people keep asking me if you're okay. And I'm really sorry I'm not looking after you, but are you okay? And he said to me, do you know what, Lenny? If you're okay, I'm okay. <laughs> Which I don't think he realised was a massive weight on my shoulders. Yeah. It's basically saying, if you fall apart, I'm falling apart. Yeah. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know. I'm really strong if you're strong. Yeah. Like, you're and I thought, anymore. oh my gosh, and now I'm strong. I need to be strong for you and my children. <laughs> um, so, and he's with all this stress. Yeah, exactly. And so... But when we're in it, we can't often, we just don't have the ability or the strength to deal with the people outside of our family. So quite often, for them, needing support elsewhere, wherever they get it, is equally as important as it is for the people that, um, because relationships quite often break down 
post-treatment. It's not unheard of and it's quite common that relationships break down after something like that. You know, people often think it will bring us stronger, but equally it can break down that relationship, which is it's a shame. And do you think that's just because they don't talk about what they actually feel or I it's think, just a bit it's like the traumatic? I um, think that these things in life, such traumas in life, whether it be a cancer or any other illness or any other stressful, you know, traumatic event can really show what people are about. And it might you might then look at the relationship and say, this isn't, this isn't the relationship what I want. And that can be from both sides of the coin. Uh, and it's a shame that, that that needs to happen. But sometimes people can be happier from that separation. But the reality of a separation is equally as traumatic. Um, but I think it makes both parties look at their lives and say, is this... It's a shock to the system. You're just facing your own mortality. Yeah. And when you're truly faced with your own mortality, which a lot of people don't ever need to do in their life, when you're truly faced with it, that's when you look and say, is this what I want for my life? And that's why some people can come out with this whole phoenix from the flames, you know, kind of analogy of, you know, you talked about how people often work part-time afterwards because they realise that they want more time to life. And life isn't just about work. People work. Am I, am I living to work or working to live? Yeah, exactly. You know, what, what, what are we here for anyway? You know, and, and if it is just to achieve money and to achieve status, you know, then, then that's fine. But often people find it's not. It's, it's actually... To enjoy it. Living, yeah, to live well, to get, to get what you can out of life. And, in a, in a, in a, you know, and, and connecting with people helps people to yeah. do that. And like we're saying, people on the deathbed, they don't go, no. wish I'd have worked more. No, but often many people, and that, and that, and I will say, I've got to be very careful saying this, that I feel in a way blessed for what I went through, but only I can say that because I'm standing in the position I'm in now, and I know that there's people that aren't in the position I'm in now, so I would never speak for anybody else to say that they should feel that way, but I do feel blessed for what I went through because it's made me come out the other side, you know, with less anxiety, which is something I suffered really badly from. Uh, with less anxiety, with a more zest for life, with hopefully a better understanding and care for other people. I want to walk off this life, off this planet, knowing that I tried my hardest to make a difference and that I tried my hardest to to respect the life I was given because I know too many people that that life is, uh, you know, was short-lived and I feel that it's my duty almost and honour to be able to live my life in a way that, you know, pays respect to them. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, it is showing that empathy, isn't it? And yeah. It is trying to get your message across that, you know, I have been through something similar, mm. but obviously no cancer is the same, no treatment pathways are the same or anything no. like that. But psychological effects yeah. can be similar. And Well, I've had psych- psychological difficulties in my life and I've had physical difficulties in my life. When I had psychological difficulties, there was nobody. No- yeah. Nobody came and bought me flowers. Nobody came and said, come on, Lenny, let's lift your spirits here. You know, in fact, it was very much a case of, you know, this is all a bit awkward and pull yourself together. I've never had this. Is it really anything? And I remember that vividly. You know, nobody came to support me. But when they gave me cancer, which is Mm. equally as challenging, 
everybody came out for me and I really am very aware of the, the of the mental effects that cancer can have on people and the doctors are there for the physical but we need to be there for each other for each other for the mental strain because because you can't see it can you can't see it and it's embarrassing yeah. and did you talk about it or at Not the really. time when no. I had the mental when yeah, I, when the I mental had a, side. it was like a breakdown if you want to call it did I talk about or it hidden oh I, I I tried to talk to people but they just they were like well just put yourself together which I would have done had I had resilience skills I didn't yeah. have resilience skills because they weren't taught to me that's what I needed I needed you know so once I had those resilience skills or actually once I realized most of most fears are around dying yeah so most people you know whether it's of spiders or heights or even depression often it's it's fear or most anxieties is fear of stopping breathing and dying you know but and then when somebody actually said to me well, you've got this this cancer and at the moment we don't know if you're going to die or not I thought oh my god you know I why do I want more years on this on this earth in fear what a waste you know and so for me I also it just it was a massive switch in my brain of why do you want to live in fear and anxiety, which anxiety breeds depression and depression yeah. breeds, breeds anxiety. It's all connected. If you're not going to appreciate those years, you don't want to die, but you don't want to live either because you're not letting yourself, you're not helping yourself to live in happiness. You're not helping yourself to thrive in this life that you've been given. You're living in, in a mental state of anxiety, which is not living at all. So the, 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 the reality of me possibly dying kicked me up the backside and said, do you want to live or not? Mm. Um, and that was probably a, the best wake-up call I could have ever had. And that's a, that very much a fight or flight or yeah. sink or swim, whichever mm. analogy you want to use, because people can either sink right down and thinking, I've got cancer. And obviously yeah. there's still that stigma around death and cancer, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Obviously I'm you going go to die. I know that. Yeah. One day I'm going to die. Yeah. But I'm not dying right now. Um, or, or, or I am, if you say, is what yeah. I mean. You say, but I, I, at the moment, I've, I'm, I'm breathing, yeah. and it's, I'm, I, it's my choice what's happening right now. Yeah. I mean, with uh, falls clients, I talk very much around, you know, because a lot of them are embarrassed about getting off the floor if they struggle. Yeah, yeah. And it's like being seen to be yeah. struggling, and I'm like, well, at the end of the day, if nobody comes to visit, yeah, and you're on the floor yeah. and you can't get up, you can't get to a phone or anything, what mm. happens to you? Mm. And eventually you're going to die on that floor mm, because is, you can't get up. So mm. you doing this exercise class and getting you on and off the floor mm. will save your life and it will give you a better quality of life in the end. Because mm. actually it's the same thing. More people are scared of death mm. than actually being seen to be struggling to get off the floor. Mm, mm. Uh, and I think there's still a lot of work to be done around cancer, isn't there? And the mm. support system, as soon as you release from hospital, yeah. I mean, obviously you saw a need because you didn't get access yourself. No. Or, I, or the things that I did get access to, I had to work really hard to find. Um, or I have found, but I haven't found that others have found. And I want to share these amazing things that we have in our community and nationally. Um, that I'm a looker and I'm a finder and I'm a joiner and that's what I do in life, but other people aren't. And if, But the things they, they could access without, without feeling anxious, there is so much out there. People just don't know. But what they didn't have... Or what I didn't find was it was a, a group that was you know that was was going to work for me. So that's where the work went into it. And you know we do get we get some amazing compliments. You know from some, something just kind of just a little thing that happened this week, which which really 
you know, uh, struck, struck a chord with me and made me realise what's working is the chemotherapy ones. So the bags, the chemotherapy bags we give, it's a practical support. Uh, but in there are some well-being uh, items to help with the mental, uh, you know, understanding, mental dealing with it mentally. And but one thing we put in there is a big pink blanket because pink is the pink breast cancer colour. But this big pink blanket provides warmth in the hospital and comfort in a hospital. But also when you're struggling, you know, the comfort and and the tactileness is, is can be really good for your well-being as well yeah. and it can um, and, it, and it's it's just a really positive Same symbol child, isn't it? yeah it's a really positive symbol mm. and elderly as well yeah it's just having that soft contact and that comfort and the need and the need for that and anyway so this somebody had posted on our page that they'd gone in uh for treatment that day in chemotherapy looked across the ward and opposite them was another pink blanket and then a few minutes, a little bit later on the same day was another pink blanket. So in our chemotherapy ward in Northampton, there was three pink blankets those days. Those three women didn't know each other. They never met each other. They automatically knew what, what they were part of. Yeah. Um, and that that automatically encouraged them to talk to each other, building the support network. It's a symbol, isn't it? It's, it's a like, symbol. Yeah. And We're all in me, it together. Yeah. And for me, if, they, if the only thing we ever did was give those three bags out to those three people to meet each other and to connect and smile because it was funny <laughs> it's like oh my gosh look, we've got the same bags and we must we must be from the same thing and to find that connectivity that connection that day if that's the only thing we ever did then we've achieved what yeah. we stand to i mean the, the reason for doing these podcasts really is to get people to realize that they're not alone mm. you know they might be going through head, mental health or physical mm. health or anything like that but they're not alone and people experience mm. and people have come out better mm. Yeah. And there are services out there that people can access. There is, absolutely. It's, it's like you were saying about some of the ladies, you know, the first time that a lady's come today yeah. and she didn't know whether to come or, or not yeah. sort of thing because they're left yeah. in limbo, aren't they? Yeah. Something new that they yeah. don't know. Trying something new, I mean, with your with, with everything that you do mm. and everything we do, the first step is just to, to, to want to do it and then to do it. And that's sometimes the hardest step and some people never will. Um, but it's that making that decision that actually I'm going to change because something isn't right. Something isn't right. You know, and whether it's, you know, something noticing that I need help and asking for help. And, uh, and, and that help might be just to get to know other people. It might be to actually start working towards their physical. And I think that's more of a society problem that we as a society don't ask no. for help. No. If we're struggling, we don't say we just it shows, hide it. Because it seems to show it's weakness. weakness but the, how can it be a weakness when you're going to overcome it? You know, mm. what, what overcoming it. Is the biggest strength of all, but noticing you've got weakness. I, I learned, you know, you used that analogy earlier that of in you know getting somebody to fail so that they can see what they need to work on. You know, when when I work in a primary school and when we when we're um, uh, when we have people watching us um, and assessing us, often people are terrified of the failures that they're going to. They're going to have points and uh, items that they're going to need to work on. Me, I'm like, give them to me because I need to know where my focus needs to yeah, be. Exactly. And often we're not very good at being self-critical. So for somebody else to criticise us isn't a failure. It's a point mm. of, um, it's a point to, to work improvement, on. It's a point of improvement, exactly. It's something to yeah. focus on. I need, we need focus yeah. to be able to. Well, I do uh, think it's that fact of being judged, isn't it? Mm, whether you're okay. good enough or you're not. Yeah. Good yeah. Well, you're good enough. Yeah. And then we just need to work on these yeah. things. I don't like people putting butt in there. Yeah. I think butt. You could do this. I'd rather say, you know, and you can just do yeah. working on this yeah. or being clearer, clearer on this. Yeah. Or... yeah, because we're not, you know, Nobody's perfect. No, or we are all perfect. Oh, which is the same yeah, thing. individual. Yeah. yeah, we are all perfect. You know, to your own ide- yeah. ideology. Yeah, but um, everything is okay. Everything is just right. 
it's the way it's supposed to be. Um, but no, I'm not going to say but actually. Um, <laughs> and recognizing your own needs, yeah. you know, is a and if somebody recognizes it for you, and it strikes a chord, then having that choice. We talk about choice. Life is all about choice, and knowing that you do have a choice. Um, I mean, everybody has problems, and like I had problems, and it took me a while to recognize them because mm. uh, you, you don't know what it is or anything like mm. that. Uh, and it is about recognising and then trying to do something about it as well so you don't keep going into the same patterns mm, that you mm, can fall into. Mm, absolutely. Uh, but I think, you know, it's an amazing service that you're offering and I think for a rehab, especially in the community, there's still more stuff that you're doing because, mm. like, obviously you've brought me down from mm, Leicestershire mm. because you haven't really got physical rehab in a no. community session in Northampton. No. Uh, Which really, and then that was actually really interesting to say, like, we were saying, like, where can we get it? And you were like, it's almost like, well actually in Northampton there isn't and that's where we need to make you know and, and that'll be for many people across the country that you know we don't and that's such a shame for us to be able to sit there and say we don't know that's why but to come today there are things you can be doing yourself yeah. but also there are places that you need to go and to try and it's that are going to be able to help you in a professional sense yeah. and it's like the it, it is a knowledge thing isn't it yeah. especially around physical activity because there's plenty of questions like the lady at the end she goes, oh, I can't raise my arm mm. up her shoulder mm. and it hurts. It's been constantly hurting. Uh, and then I've just gone, do you want me to fix that in five minutes? Mm. And then I've just done a massage and some manipulation around the shoulder blade. Mm. And then she's managed to raise it all the way up so she can brush her ear. Yeah. Which yeah. she hasn't been able to do for like a year. Yeah. But because she's, this is what we talked about, because there's a pain there, do we think that we have to cope with it? Yeah. And also, well, you were saying that time, time's massive, isn't it? Am, yeah. I, am I willing... To devote time to this is it worthwhile or am i just going to ignore it is it because i'm just getting older i'm sick of this oh i'm just getting older or you know menopause and there's so much that so much like information around the menopause of how we need to be active we need to build our strength um to help things like uh, osteoporosis and uh, and and quite often you know we literally become less active as we get older we'll just start to fuse together of course there's <laughs> going to be problems you know women joke about cankles that's mm. a fusing together of just no flexibility in, in, in an area because you're just it's if it doesn't need if it's not going to be moved it's not going to need to be moved the muscles are going to wear away aren't they yeah and then um, that was a massive thing like you just mentioned that we talked about time so i was saying more along the lines of the most precious thing that you can offer to someone mm. is your time mm. so especially like birthdays and stuff like that really mm. i don't want a present mm. i'd just rather mm. you come see me especially mm. like some of the friends that i have so I just come spend time with me for a couple of hours. Mm. I'm quite happy with that because mm. I hardly ever see you. Quite often we throw money. And we throw we, money. It's still. quick and easy. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've sent today money to my, my <laughs> nephew. Um, but actually, but that's one thing I do realise. I'm doing a lot of work with the charity is people who support us say, oh, I want to do more, I want to do more. And I say to them, you know, can I give you some money? And I go, do you know what? Your time is worth more than your money. Yeah. Um, because for us, and, and giving is, is worth more than you know, the financial aspect, but because your your time is worth more. You know, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. I mean, I was speaking to a, a group the other day <coughs> and we, we got onto volunteering and stuff. I said, look, if you want to do something good, go into a care home and chat to some of the old people yeah, absolutely. there. Because yeah. we talk about elderly isolation, yeah. looking at throwing money at it to try yeah. and get them out. Yeah. Why aren't you offering your time to just yeah. go in and chat? Yeah. And also, yeah. there's no way you're going to come up, not going to come out of that with as much out of it that they got you're going to get it's a two-way thing um so to give time to somebody is a two-way thing you're going to get back what you what you gave and you know one of the most one of my most famous christmas most 
poignant Christmases for me, most happiest Christmases, was when I took my son with the local scout group to an old people's home, an elderly home. And then when we got there, they had this little quiz. And first of all, the children were like, oh, gosh, you know, what's this going to be like? And I'm sure the elderly probably thought, oh, gosh, I hope these children are going to be well behaved. And the, the connectiveness that I saw when I was in there, the connections and the moments of just pure happiness and smiling, mm. I came away from there just feeling like that was Christmas, didn't need the rest of it. That to me was Christmas. And, you know, it's just it was just a beautiful moment, really. And I think people connecting and from the group itself, you know, they, they don't realise how much they give each other, whether it's been just, just commenting on something that somebody's had the have the brave, you know, the bravery to, to to talk about their problem, and somebody's bothered to, to react to that, to talking to them at a group or to arranging to meet up afterwards or swapping numbers, you know, that that connection to somebody else to say that actually I care about you uh, is just invaluable. I mean, especially around obviously some of the cancer clients, I ended, mm. I had quite a lot that cried mm-hmm. because. Some of them, it was the first time someone's gone to, mm. so is everything all right? Mm. Mm. Nobody's actually physically asking because it was mm. also, oh, the cancer's going, or mm. it was always about the cancer. And nobody's, mm. uh, I, don't know, I don't want to know about the cancer. Mm. I want mm. to know how you are and mm. you are as a person mm. and how you're coping. And some of them just cried because mm. nobody's yeah. asked them. No, because you're not very good with dealing with if it's not. No, that's quite often. And because I'm well. quite direct. Yeah. It's like, yeah. You know, how are you? Yeah. Are you all right? Yeah. You know, and you just starting that conversation. I can remember one consultation that I did lasted three hours mm, mm. because nobody really asked her on that sort of mm. basic level and not talked about the cancer mm. at all and just said, mm. How are you and how are you coping? And, and quite often that's we say to each other, Hi, you're right. And you're right is actually just a greeting now. Yeah. But are you all right is a question. Yeah. But we don't, people don't want the answer normally when they're no. asking it. They're yeah. actually just saying, Oh, you're right. Yeah. You know, that's a greeting now. That's that's so wrong that it's it's been kind of. You know, when you're asking if someone's all right, you know, you, you should be willing to take to get that answer and to be willing to do, you know, yeah. do something about it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I think, I just think uh, for us, you know, people giving that time and giving that, um, wanting to know, but and, and actually caring about each other. Uh, we had a lady that came to our event last week and it was the first time that she'd come along and she'd finished treatment at the same time as me and I just, she came in and I looked and I just said, are you okay? And you know what, that, that, she, she, she dared to go that day and it was a big big step for her to go and asking her that, did, did, you know, she did break down. And, um, but that's not a bad thing. No. You know, it's okay to cry, it's okay it's, to, to open up. Especially in, in like coaching and counselling work. Yeah. You know, if someone cries, it's normally a breakthrough. Mm. Of the, like, they've released so it's much released. emotion. We're allowed to sneeze, we're allowed to cough. Yeah. They're all releasing. <laughs> yeah, they're all releasing, but, you have, but don't cry. But it's a release, it needs to happen, you yeah. know. When people are ready, well, I remember going to a group and them saying to me, calm, you know, people always cry and it's a good thing. And I went, I don't, I don't want to cry. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, but you need to cry. And I thought, don't you, I don't need you don't to cry. If I need to cry, I will cry. Yeah. Uh, but actually at the time, I was too scared to cry. I wasn't mm. ready to cry because I felt that, you know, I had two things to, to run away and hide or to face <laughs> my fears. And I've always run away and hid. Yeah. And I had to face my fears and that didn't involve me crying at yeah. that moment. Later on, I cried about something, somebody parked or something, yeah. and that made me cry. And that was the moment for me to allow some other stuff to come out. Okay. But I wasn't in a position, I didn't need to cry at that moment. And the thing is, when you face that adversity, mm. it's like, 
well, how am I going to respond? Mm. So either I fight it and then I keep going, mm. or you can go the other way, can't you, and just go into your own little mm. uh, wallowing pool. Mm. Exactly. Uh, and then you start to struggle. Yeah. Uh, cause because really, you've yeah. got to keep fighting. And then you've got yeah. to have these support systems in place to keep And fighting. the fight that people talk about, the fight people talk about in cancer, is, is quite interesting because it's not often... People think it's a physical fight. You've got to literally put your gloves on and it's like, I've bought cancer. Um, but actually, it's very, it very much the mental fight yeah. because it's keeping yourself um, from those dark thoughts and those yeah. fearful thoughts. Um, and that, for me, because I'd had, and, and in some ways, you know, I hate this phrase of everything happens for a reason because you know what? Sometimes it doesn't. And, it, and sometimes it isn't okay that it happened. You know, you know, when you lose somebody early in their life, it, there's no justification for that. It's not okay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but sometimes when we can take that and say, this thing happened for a reason, I believe that when I had this breakdown or whatever you want to call it back, back 20, you know, 10 years ago, that gave me the strength to be able to deal with cancer. Had I not had that, I probably would have had the breakdown or possibly could have had the breakdown during my cancer. But because I built up this resilience 10 years ago, because I did give up and I did basically just fall apart when I was challenged with something instead of, you know, when, I, when something else came along even worse, because it wasn't even yeah. a big thing that made me fall apart. It was a combination of things. It was my self-confidence, basically, and not believing in myself. Um, Where so did that when, come from, though? A million reasons, but yeah, yeah it, you know, it could be just not being taught the skills in life, really. Mm. You know, we need skills in life, and if yeah. I didn't have them, if there's a gap in that skill, then later on that, that could come it. out, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, basically, I just made my world so small and justified not needing to do any of those things because I didn't need to, um, and was living a half life. Um, so now, instead of being fearful of things, I just think, well, actually, if something bad's going to happen, me making it safer isn't going to stop that bad thing happening it's you know i and i just was trying to keep myself safe in the most ludicrous of ways yeah um whereas when they and then i walked in and was told i had cancer and didn't know what my outcome was there was no way i was going to make myself there's nothing i could have done nothing no. i could do as part of make myself to make myself safe and when i realized there's nothing you can do to make yourself truly safe in life you might as well just go and live it you know yeah. and that was the best lesson uh, I learned. So I spent my whole year throughout treatment having as much fun as I possibly could. Um, and I just accessed everything that I could. And I made myself really, really busy, happily busy, not busy cleaning or cooking or yeah. uh, looking after other people. I was busy living my life. And actually, when you when you connect with people in a positive way, you're both you're both going to get something out there anyway, yeah. so you are looking after them. Yeah, and exactly. And if you ever listen to my podcast, they all mention the same thing around that positivity around mm. you. Mm. You know, mm. and that's massive, isn't it? Oh, I definitely had to drop. I had to drop. You know, there's that feeling of when you're having a, a two-way connection with somebody, mm. you're either going to come away from that feeling inspired, feeling on the level, just just feeling up. You know, feeling happy, feeling content. Yeah. You know, that, that contentness of, or you could be feeling high from it, or you could be feeling drained from it. And I think it's recognising those relationships that drain us and realising that actually you might have to walk away from that. And sometimes that's a family member, which is really hard, um, or even distance yourself or minimise your amount of contact that you have with them out of self-preservation. And often people don't do that out of 
feeling that they have to have that relationship and feeling guilty not to have that relationship out of um, feeling that they, you know, that they, they should have that relationship with the person, but just because they're a family member. But I've definitely looked at relationships in my life that I've had to distance or walk away from just out of self-preservation. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking earlier. That's good that you realise that as well. Absolutely. You know, you said like if somebody's not working, something's not work, working for you, we do have a choice. Yeah. You know, sometimes that making that choice could be the, your, your partner and it could be the biggest and most difficult thing you ever have to do. But if it's going to make you happier in the long run, maybe it's, it's something that's going to have to be done. And we are all about the same wavelength because, like, I talk about accountability for your actions mm-hmm. and then you actually have the choice to actually do stuff. Yeah. And you're along the same lines as that as well, aren't you? It is. That's, a lot of people just don't, won't accept the accountability in life of, the, of having that choice. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, this is something I try and work with children in schools is that, you know, when they... When they do something, every act for every action, there's a reaction. Mm. You know, something's or everything you do is going. Something's going to happen from that, and mm. you have to be accountable for it. Um, and if that person doesn't 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 and blame, often it's you know it wasn't my fault. It's that person's fault. Yeah. It's this person's fault. But if you're choosing to still be within that person's you so, know, life, yeah circle, yeah. then then it's not their fault. If they were horrible to you, you let them do it. You know, and, and then you've got to be quite obviously very careful because we can be looking at, you know, right down the line of abuse. Yeah. And, you know, whether it be in relationships or whether it be, uh, we, we need to be really careful there. But it's at that point where the person decides that actually this is not okay anymore, I'm going to get help. You know, some things you can do yourself, but something you will need support and you will need expertise with. So it's not having to always do things yourself. But there is always a choice, always a choice. But that choice might be harder and it might be more difficult than you're willing to do. Yeah, yeah. And if there's one bit of advice for somebody going through breast cancer or cancer in general, what would your one advice be, apart from coming from breast friends if you're in Northampton? I think, yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. It's, it's to be true to yourself and to be to listen to yourself and to listen to what you need right now um, and to make sure that you respond to that need. Because every person's treatment is going to be different post-treatment, after treatment. Everybody's experience, some people use the word journey, but everybody's experience is going to be different. And to make sure that you're true to yourself within that experience um, and that you do what you need to help you um, is just incredibly important. And that you don't compare and you don't... um, you don't feel like you're not doing as well as somebody else because everybody's treatment is going to react differently. And what's really important is to listen to your own body uh, and get get help or support or help yourself when you need it. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming in today. Oh, thank you for coming uh, in yourself. Thank, it you. Is. <laughs> thank you very much for coming and helping us today. It's been, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, that was the only from Breast Friends. If anybody's in Northampton area that's uh, struggling with breast cancer or even has breast cancer or has just been diagnosed and get in touch, you can find them on Facebook. Yeah. Got a website? Um, breast, uh, we do. We have our website is um, www.breastfriendsnorthampton.org. Um, we're Breast Friends Northampton on Facebook. Breast Friends Northampton private group uh, for those people that have actually had it or are having treatment for it. And we also have a secondary group as well now for people that are living with. Um, we also have uh, Breast Friends N, which is our Twitter yeah. uh, page. Uh, and I think you do an amazing job. Obviously, you're impacting so you. a lot of people. <laughs> Uh, you're impacting a lot of people's lives and I think it's, sometimes you need to step away from that and then just appreciate it and how many people you are affecting uh, going forward and you're getting a really good community 
group going and like you were saying like with the pink towels and handing out the chemo kits it's it's showing that somebody is there yeah yeah and nobody is alone and that you know someone does care about the outcome and how you're doing and how you're treating i think that's Uh, the biggest thing that people say to us is um it's just so nice to know that somebody cares mm -hmm. and 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 somebody cares outside of their own circle so somebody in the community cares uh that for us is because the nhs are great at what they you know they they we're very lucky to have them but they only can do so much and so that's where the outside groups are so important uh, and that was another episode of the morbid download obviously you can subscribe on the podcast the more attention i get the more uh, people that listen to it, it gives me more energy so i'll keep putting stuff out there through the different partners or different people i meet along the way also i'll be doing uh, different ones that i do individually around did one around stress the other day and then i'll be doing one around haters and how uh negativity can affect your mind and how it affects outcomes uh, like i've just been chatting today uh, have a lovely day. Send out the positive vibes. I hope you enjoy the royal wedding. Uh, take care. See you later.